This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. The reason I believe thinking before buying is so incredibly powerful is because it gives young people a sight line as to how they can live the life they want without spending more than they make. And that is what allows them. It's really the only thing that allows anybody to create an investable surplus when you become an adult income earner. And you really only need two things, right? To create personal financial peace of mind. You need a social security number or a social insurance number, whatever it is in your home country, and an investable surplus. And it doesn't have to be big, but it does have to exist. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batnuala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Karen Holland, who is the founder of GiftingSense.org. If you've ever had a child come to ask you for something they want to buy and you've thought to yourself, oh, if only they understood the value of money better, then today's episode is going to be extremely informative. Gifting Sense is a Canadian nonprofit organization dedicated to helping children prepare for all the personal financial decisions that lie in their future by teaching them how to think before they buy. Karen has a master's degree in economic history from the University of Toronto and an honors Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Queen's University in Ontario. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Marina. Karen, you've a background in the finance industry, but you've now developed a tool, which is essentially a quiz to help kids think before they buy. And I should mention that Gifting Sense was recognized as one of the best school-age nonprofit financial education programs available today at the 2022 Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. Now, what led you to developing this quiz? Growing up, what do you think in your childhood were the influences that reflected on the way you think about money now? Well, I get asked this question a lot. You won't be surprised to hear. And the answer, although of course I love both my parents very much and I learned a lot from both of them, but in terms of personal finance, for sure, it was my mother. I'm one of three girls. Ours was a very gender neutral household. We never observed or categorized tasks or careers or accomplishments as masculine or feminine. And, you know, I went to co-ed public school my whole life. So I can only attribute this to the fact that we didn't have any brothers. So if the grass needed cutting or the deck had to be stained or the floor had to be washed, one of us did it because, you know, it was whatever our parents were doing and they needed help with. I think the end result of this is that if somebody was stronger than us or knew more math, our perception was that that was because they were older than us, not because they were a Y chromosome. So my parents had a total partnership. They had distinct responsibilities, but I certainly never thought that my mother, for example, was to be trifled with because she did not work outside the home when we were little. She was a kindergarten teacher. She actually started a very successful business fitting women with prosthesis after they had mastectomies because she herself had breast cancer, but she was at home when we were home. We were born in Montreal, but we moved back and forth between Ontario and Quebec, our childhood. My father's a mechanical engineer, and he worked for General Motors his entire 
career. High school starts in grade seven in the province of Quebec. So this is why it was really during what is for most people in North America, anyways, the middle school years, that our mother really started to teach us how much further money could go if you spent it with a lot of planning. So fast forward 25 years later, I'm a mother myself to a boy who has very different interests than I had when I was growing up. And I am spending a lot. Honestly, Marina, what felt like every weekend for a decade at either a baseball or a hockey or a basketball, a soccer, a rugby tournament. And any parent who's had this team sport experience knows there's a lot of what I'll affectionately call chair time. So you're sitting on the sidelines of these games with other parents and kids, be they team members or siblings, they're coming and going and they're asking for money for everything from an ice cream to a t-shirt or, you know, a drive to a local mall. As Canadian teams, we would often go to travel tournaments in the U.S. And so it was very exciting to be able to go to a different mall. And it dawns on me that a not immaterial number of children have like honestly no idea how much money is actually involved in making a purchase. You know, what is sales tax ad? What is shipping ad? If it's tickets to a concert or a professional sporting event, well, how much do safe transportation or even parking, snacks, souvenirs, these things. And we love words in the Holland family. We love a good TLA. That's a three-letter acronym, even though DIM score is a, a four-letter acronym. Does it make sense, score? You know, you're parenting in a tribe. You're trying to help each other out. So with my friend's blessings, as their kids are coming up and haranguing them, you know, they know I'm an economist. They know I, I have a bit of a reputation for being a frugal person. With their blessing, I start to ask their kids, well, what's the DIM score? Like, you know, does that actually make sense? Is it a good idea? How much do sales tax and shipping add to the cost of a you know seemingly small online purchase? Particularly, again, if it's a t-shirt coming from the United States, now you need American dollars, you might have to add duty to that. And in the case of a concert or a sporting event, you know, the ticket price is just the beginning. We've actually done a number of workshops at schools where we show kids how just, you know, you think, oh, what's the big deal going to the movies? Because it's only $7, but it's not only $7. So we take them through that process. And, and what I'm fond of saying to people is that kids are not thoughtless. What they are is inexperienced. So my friends are telling me, and I'm able to observe after literally years of this happening, that, that two things are occurring. They are receiving fewer requests to spend money, and the requests they are receiving are of better quality. So I'm like, aha, I got something. So the rest, you know, is, is kind of history. I mean, I wireframed the site on index cards, the doesn't make sense score calculator, which is really a weighted questionnaire. It took me a while to find a developer who would turn it into an operational online tool, but I did. It took me longer to convince people that I had no agenda other than helping them teach their kids to think before they buy. But eventually people started to take the offering at face value. And certainly the pandemic accelerated people's appetite, tolerance, whatever you want to call it for online tools. And then, yeah, last year we came second only to the University of Chicago at the 2022 Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards, which was very exciting. That's remarkable. And this quiz, Gifting Sense, which leads your child to develop their DIM score, the doesn't make sense score before they actually come to you asking for something. It's entirely free. It's entirely safe. They don't ask, you don't ask for any personal information. Well, it's, you know, to me, it's all about no barrier to entry. 
I mean, it's interesting, right? It was the Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. So I know as a parent, the minute there's a formal registration process, the minute there's a paywall, you lose people, right? And personal information is not pertinent to kids making quick but not arbitrary, well-thought-out consumer decisions, right? That we don't need to know their name or their email address or where they live. That None of that is relevant. They need to understand how much do sales tax and shipping add? How often are they likely to wear orange linen bell-bottom pants? And what I am able to observe in every workshop, which is really exciting, is that when we give kids a tool that lets them quickly research how much money is actually involved, in the full purchase, right, the delivered on time cost or the full cost of going to a concert or a sporting event, when we give them a tool that lets them do that and lets them think about, it's just a quick pause before purchase, but lets them really consider how much they'll use and appreciate an item or experience before any money is spent, guess what? They are fully capable of making great decisions. Okay, so knowing that I was going to be talking to you, my 15-year-old son wanted to buy a whole desk set up for his computer using all his birthday and Christmas money. So I steered him to your Gifting Sense website and he took the quiz. His DIM score, the Does It Make Sense score, was 8.2, which essentially means what, Karen? Okay, well, a DIM score of greater than 8, that's the benchmark we suggest to kids and parents and educators Below eight, we really want them to revisit the purchase and they can actually click on a tell me why button if their doesn't make sense score is less than eight. And we take them through all the ways they could possibly boost that score. Now, sometimes they don't know the return policy or the warranty. And we're like, especially if you're buying something like a desk setup, that's going to be pricey. You want to know what your move is if it fails to perform as intended. But basically, eight or greater means that you're in a pretty good position to have a productive conversation with your parents about this purchase. It does not mean that he has carte blanche to demand that you support or fund the purchase. I mean, the reason thinking before buying improves family harmony is because it gets everyone in the family singing from the same song sheet. It prevents a scenario where parents know full and well, for example, that the ticket price to a concert is only the beginning, but the kids are left to wonder, well, what's the big deal? So I'm sure whether or not he's able to confess that to you, your son had a few you know, wow moments where he was like, hmm, you know, whatever it was, $100 shipping charge because this thing's big and heavy. And then hmm, we're going to have to put it together and we might even have to do some rearranging. Like it just helps them understand it's not just as easy as, you know, plumbing your credit card number in and poof, there it is. Well, I can tell you he was grinning from ear to ear when it came out as over eight. So he was happy. <laughs> And it's all being set up now. It's being purchased and it's up. So the other thing, remarkable thing about it is the output. It actually gives them documentation to come and have a conversation at a very, at a pretty adult level. So that's really nice. It's interesting. You never know, you know, what's hitting the mark and why, or at least that's been my experience. And I can't tell you how many kids and parents have said what kids really appreciate is that, you know, I'm not, I don't speak down to them or we're not using babyish terms or whatever, but part of financial literacy is getting comfortable with the jargon, which when you think about it, jargon is just vocabulary without understanding, right? So there's nothing terribly complicated about cost per use, but what's exciting is, you know, an 11 year old who gets used to 
thinking about things like cost per use, almost can't help but become a 17-year-old who really carefully looks at a student loan agreement before they sign it. Right. So Karen, you've had your own career in the finance industry. You've raised a son. Now you're teaching other people's children in your workshops along with this program, which is available, this quiz, which is available to everyone in the whole world. Is there anything you now know that you wished you'd known when you were younger? So I also get asked this question To be honest, you know, when we were a family, because we talked about money, I can't say that I look back and think there was a big gap in what I learned at home. But Marina, can I share with you what I've realized in retrospect is incredibly important for recent graduates? Of course, please do. (laughs) Okay, so what I realized that's, you know, so important now for recent graduates, for new adult income earners, that I really didn't appreciate when I was first working is the tremendous, tremendous, tremendous importance of availing yourself to all the various savings programs available, be they government or employer sponsored, as soon as you start working so that you can amass savings as early as possible and let compound interest really work its magic. When I first joined the Royal Bank of Canada, there was a human resources new employee intake professional. Funnily enough, her name was Betty White. And I can remember her literally pointing to a bunch of boxes on all of these intake forms, which I'd never seen forms like that before, and saying to me, check this box, check this box, check this box. She had a formidable presence, and it didn't even occur to me to not do what she was saying, and thank goodness, because Betty White, not Karen Holland, in all sincerity, is responsible for my having maxed out every possible benefit available at the time, including the bank's incredibly generous stock savings plan, which you had to work there for six months before you could start contributing. But they would let you contribute 9% of your salary and match up to 6% of your salary. Now, I can promise you, I was not making a big salary in 1991, but those very small decisions when I first started working are a very big part of my retirement plan today. Because I was used to living on very little, I was, you know, had just been a grad student, we were newly married, the lifestyle pain, if you will, of making those contributions was marginal, but the benefit has been huge. So, I never know if I'm repeating myself. I'm so passionate about this topic. But the reason I believe thinking before buying is so incredibly powerful is because it gives young people a sight line as to how they can live the life they want without spending more than they make. And that is what allows them. It's really the only thing that allows anybody to create an investable surplus when you become an adult income earner. And you really only need two things, right, to create personal financial peace of mind. You need a social security number or a social insurance number, whatever it is in your home country, and an investable surplus. And it doesn't have to be big, but it does have to exist. Yes, very wise words. And, you know, that's the power of compound interest. We don't want to get too technical here, but really the money builds on itself. And the the younger you start, the greater that power is. So Karen, what are the top things that you want parents to understand about raising financially capable girls? Well, I mean, I get asked this question again a lot when you're in my line of work. I mean, there are a lot of the same things for boys and girls. These are, I think there's sort of five that parents and educators have told me are the most 
helpful over the years. So why don't I, I'll quickly run through them and then maybe we can do a deeper dive. For parents of girls, the one thing that I want them to know is that there is nothing inherently feminine about budgeting or being a wise spender or being frugal, like hashtag Warren Buffett. We know more often than not, girls are taught to save and boys are taught to invest. But, you know, later on, I'll share a metaphor that I use all the time that seems to be very effective at explaining to all young people, boys and girls, why everyone needs both financial offense, which is earning an income, but equally financial defense, which is spending what you do earn carefully. So number one, nothing inherently feminine about being frugal or a wise spender. I really believe it's mission critical to give kids firsthand experiences managing money really before the end of grade nine, because childhood is when most of our money personality is established. It's established unconsciously, but it's established nonetheless. And Giving your children the habit of thinking before buying is really the easiest and most natural way to do this. When you meet kids where they are, at the very moment they're considering either making a purchase or making an ask, because the decision is centered around something they want, the habit building is almost by default engaging and age appropriate. All of my friends, we're all looking for stylish readers because none of us can see anymore, right? So consumer habits are really a function of age. So when the decision is centered around something they want to buy, it, you're almost guaranteed that it's going to be age appropriate. And learning about mortgages 20 years before you need one, like, did you care about a mortgage when you were in grade nine? No, I didn't know what one was. Exactly. But you know what you do care about? Not getting a repeat birthday gift, not getting a hoodie you're never going to wear, able to go to a concert with all your friends. So there's a honed right in. People say all the time, when is it kids are really interested in learning about money? Well, I'll tell you when, when they want some. Karen, you know, you said something very remarkable. Our money personalities are largely developed in childhood. Okay. So this is really the work of Brad Klontz. So everybody should, it's totally worthwhile to spend time looking up all of his work on what's called a money script. So I use the word personality to make it more accessible to kids and classrooms, but it's really technically called your money script. And it's the set of unconscious habits and beliefs that you develop about money throughout childhood that really inform how you think and act with money the rest of your life. And they're very stable. So Right now, if you think about it, we live in a world where people have some negative event, like they default on a loan or they amass too much credit card debt. And then adults are at first forced to uncover their money personality because it is unconscious. And then they try to re-engineer the traits that aren't serving them well. What I'm trying to do with the Gifting Sense Project is turn this whole thing on its side. Instead of a world where we help adults re-engineer money habits that have let them down, I want to focus on creating a circumstances under which children are able to acquire mostly productive money habits in the first place. I mean, I'm not naive. I know the only reason that kids calculate the doesn't make sense score, at least the first time, the only reason they're doing that is at the behest of a parent or an educator. Doesn't bother me at all. Because what parents, educators, and I know is that what that child is really getting is a quick but meaningful burst of just-in-time financial education, and that is what builds lasting financial acumen. So the fifth thing I want people to know, and this is a, I have a great metaphor for this as well, I mean, you sort of learn what helps people understand, is that you don't need to be any sort of an expert 
to give your kids great financial habits. You don't have to be a mathematician. You don't have to be a, a trader, none of that. And the quip that I always employ is not only dentists teach their kids to brush their teeth. Very true. And I think that's a lot of what I've been trying to explore in this podcast is that, you know, this isn't rocket science for parents to teach. It's not rocket science for kids to learn. It's a few basic concepts and principles that we all need to be familiar with. There's a really interesting part of history that applies to this that I uncovered early on, like maybe it was, I don't know if it was the last bit of 2016 or 2017, but I had a parent write to me and they were like, I really like what you're doing, but I'm worried it's not going to take off. You know, you're basically trying to formalize thinking before buying. And I'm worried that people are going to liken it to instructions for toothpaste. You know, it's, do we need instructions for toothpaste? Isn't it obvious? Like, well, toothpaste used to come in a box. Now it's plastic too, but you buy the box. You don't even read the instructions. You just throw the thing away. So I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to respond to this gentleman? And I happened upon the following, which I thought was fascinating. Did you know, Marina, daily toothbrushing only became a well-ingrained habit after the Second World War? And that is because soldiers were mandated to the practice because poor dental health was so negatively impacting their ability to perform their duties. So brush your teeth every day came down the chain of command, and then soldiers brought regular toothbrushing home to their families. Now, here's the part that I get honestly like so excited about. <laughs> In 40 years, which is like a blip, right, in the history of time, 40 years, the simple habit of regular toothbrushing introduced and practiced by people from all professions, not only dentists, moved oral cavities from an early onset childhood disease to a late onset adult disease. I mean, my husband's 56. He does not have one cavity. Imagine that, right? And yet, you know, how many of our grandparents didn't have any of their own teeth? So the reason I get excited about this is I believe that thinking before buying is as simple and fundamental to teach as everyday toothbrushing. And I think it has the same ability to deliver a permanent, lasting improvement to the future financial well-being of today's school-age children. I honestly believe we can eradicate financial illiteracy. We just have to decide we're going to do it. That's fantastic, Karen. And you're so passionate about it. It can't help but be infectious and contagious. And best of luck with this going around the world. You know, we've talked about kids, but some parents also use it too. Uh, well, I will tell you, I mean, you know, my husband laughs. I mean, I've had a number of people tell me that, of course, their partner needs it. Not them, you understand, but their partner. I have had a number of parents say, you know, we went through this with our kid. And for example, when it comes to a night out, we realized it's not just the restaurant bill. It's, you know, getting my hair blown out. It's the Uber ride. It's the babysitter. So, I mean, look, I, I think we're all the same. We don't necessarily know what the truth is. We just know it when we hear it. And when you go through this process, you're like, 100%. It's not just that one component. There's all of these other things. And when you consider them, and it doesn't take a lot of time to do that, you find yourself making a different choice. Okay. Okay, Karen, um, before we sign off, tell everyone where they can find you and giftingsense.org and what are all the resources that you have made available to everyone for free? Well, teachers can visit the teacher tab on the site, and we've put everything there they need to conduct their own workshop with their own students in their own classroom. We give them a handout that they can send home. I mean, honestly, I even share the jokes I use in workshops because you sort of learn over time what resonates. 
they're able to order a gifting sense pencil, a free gifting sense pencil for every one of their students. It's a terrific monomic device. It has what's the dim score printed on the side of it. And I always finish workshops with sort of a smiling reminder to sharpen your pencil and calculate the dim score before you spend your own money or ask somebody else to. So those teachers can do the same. Parents can email us at info at giftingsense.org if they want to schedule a workshop for their family or kids in their neighborhood, if you don't want to wait for it to come to your school. I will tell you, you can also find us on OutSchool. OutSchool offers small online Zoom classes to school-aged kids around the world who are looking for curriculum not offered at their school or as an adjunct to homeschooling. Now, OutSchool has to be compensated for use of their Zoom platform, and they vet all the educators. So just like when I go to a school district, I they have to do a background check and everything. OutSchool does that. But if the OutSchool fee is preventing you from registering for a workshop that you really want, write to me. We're going to find a workaround because this is not a revenue-generating project for me. Ask my accountant. This is my second mountain, and I get really excited thinking that we can solve this problem. Karen Holland, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, Marina. I love the podcast. I've listened to several of the episodes. I think you're on to something. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. 